Well, good morning, guys. Uh, my name is Zach. Uh, I'm one of the worship leaders here. Get to teach today. So honored to teach, um, especially in this Advent series. We're going through Advent uh, series called God With Us. And so what we're doing is looking at um, different prophecies in the book of Isaiah about the coming Messiah. Uh, so we've seen two of them already. Today we're in Isaiah 11, looking at another prophecy of the coming Messiah. And so uh, we're going to look at it right now. It's Isaiah 11. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to turn there. It's verses 1 through 10. It'll also be on the screen. I'm going to read it for us, and we will dive right in. <clears throat> Isaiah 11, verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze together, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. So beautiful. All right, I love this passage. When Sean told me I was teaching it, I read it, and it just stirred me. Very first reading. I mean, it's so beautiful. I'm pumped to teach it. Um, I've titled this teaching King, Kingship, and Kingdom. It was the outline I had. I made it my title. King, Kingship, Kingdom. We're going to break this passage down into those three sections. Um, before we do, the, the passage picks up with a stump which deserves a little bit of context, especially if this is your first Sunday with us in this Advent series. So the past two Sundays, Sean and Mark both laid out incredible historical context for us. Uh, I'm very thankful for that, brother. I'm going to just give you a quick summary. The king of God's people, King Ahaz, he and God's people are not trusting the Lord in Isaiah. They are not trusting the Lord. King Ahaz is a proud dude. He's looking to earthly alliances for power. He's not trusting God. So God is disciplining his people, and he's using a massive army of Assyria to discipline his people. Uh, because of that, the army that he is using, the king of that army, feels like he's got it all together. He's, he's pumped about what his army is accomplishing. Uh, and he starts boasting. So Isaiah hears the king of Assyria just the chapter before, chapter 10, Verse 13, boasting about what's going on. The king of Assyria says, By the strength of my hand I've done it, and by my wisdom, for I have understanding. I remove the boundaries of people and plunder their treasures. 
Like a bull, I bring down those who sit on thrones. So that's a proud dude, king of Assyria, super proud of what's going on with his army. Uh, but God has made it clear in verse 5 of chapter 10, it'll be on the screen, that uh, this proud Assyria is just a tool in his hand. He says, woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger. So he's using Assyria as a rod of his anger to discipline his people who are not trusting him. And so when Assyria boasts that they are the ones cutting down the great, God says, hold up. Dog, you're just a tool in my hand. I've been using you to discipline my people because they're not trusting me. Verse 15 says, shall the axe boast over him who hews with it? And when God is finished with his work with this tool, finished disciplining his, his people, his anger turns towards Assyria. In Isaiah verse 12, he says, I, I will punish the speech of the arrogant heart of the king of Assyria and the boastful look in his eyes. And that's what he does. Uh, the very last verses of the chapter, two verses before our verse that we start with today. Chapter 10, verse 33 and 34. Behold, the Lord God of hosts will lop the boughs with terrifying power. The great and height will be hewn down, and the lofty will be brought low. He will cut down the thickets of the forest with an axe, and Lebanon will fall by the majestic one. He turns his anger towards Assyria, chops him down. And so we're given this picture of a forest completely chopped down to stumps. And out of this picture, Isaiah begins a prophecy about the Messiah coming up out of that stump of Jesse, okay? So that's where we are. That's the context for uh, why we're talking about a stump today. Um, quick note about prophecy before we dig in. Uh, all of this flows as one thought. So Isaiah is speaking a prophecy, um, and he's not like, chapter 11, new prophecy. It's, it's all one prophecy. So verse 33, 34, 11, 1, it just flows as one continuous thought. So it's... Uh, he will cut down the thickets of the forest with an axe, and Lebanon will fall by the majestic one, and out of the stump of Jesse will come. So it's just, I mean, it's just like that. But there is no indication in Isaiah's prophecy that there is 700 years between the last verse and 11.1. 700 years. He just says it, uh, and there's no indication of that time gap. We just know it because we're on the other side of it. He says this prophecy, and there is 700 years of separation. This is called prophetic perspective. A lot of scholars call this prophetic perspective. Seeing a whole prophecy, but within that prophecy, there's a lot of different things happening at different times. It's like a, uh, looking at a mountain in the distance. Uh, when you see it, you're like, okay, that's a mountain. I see it. I see the whole thing. There it is. The mountain is the prophecy in this example. But when you get close to it, you realize that that mountain has a lot of different ridges and valleys before you get to the summit. There's a lot going on on that mountain before you get to the summit. So from far away, it's one prophecy. When you dig in, there's a lot going on. So you look at it, it's a prophecy. Pull it out this way, lots of stuff happening. So that's what the prof prophetic perspective uh, is And so that, that's happening in this prophecy. There's a lot going on at different times. We're going to try to break it down. But there's something that's about to happen, which is the chopping of the forest. There's a future thing happening, which is the birth of a king. And there's the future, future thing happening, which is the king's return. We get to look at it all today. Uh, last thing before we uh, jump in. Uh, 
I'm going to do my best to make sure we know what we are talking about. Uh, we're pretty much done with the present. He chops the, he chops the forest. So we're going to look at the future and the future future of Jesus. Um, it's all woven together like word after word. It's like, oh, suddenly we're talking about second coming. Oh, wait, we're back to the birth. It's really beautiful. It's magnificent. I love it. Uh, let's dive in. Section one, the king. All right, verse one, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. So verse one, right out of the gate, we have the Davidic covenant. I got to talk about that last time I taught. It's a very famous covenant God made to his people. I will bring out of the line of David a king whose kingdom will be forever. It's 2 Samuel 7, it's on the screen. The Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. And when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So this is God's promise to David. But this prophecy does not say David. It says David's much less famous father, Jesse. Uh, and there's a very good reason why. We... The, all the verses leading up to this chapter talking about two very arrogant kings. We've got King Ahaz, who is in the line of David, by the way. Very arrogant king, uh, not trusting the Lord. We also have the king of Assyria, who's very arrogant. Uh, he's, both of them are really proud dudes. And I think immediately the Lord, through Isaiah, juxtaposes that arrogance, their pride, and says, my Messiah is going to be different. He's going to come in humility. And so Isaiah 11.1 1 says, out of the stump of Jesse, the much less famous father of David. And in using this title, the Lord emphasizes the humble nature of his Messiah. If it said, out of the mighty stump of King David comes the mighty King Jesus, people would be like, yeah, that's what we've been waiting for. I know. But it says the stump of Jesse, which probably is confusing for some or a lot. Uh, but it's the stump of Jesse, the much less famous father. And we see this at the birth of Christ. It's the most humble birth. God is opposing the proud and saying, my Messiah will be humble. The lineage of King David trails off into obscurity. Uh, no royal authority for 600 years. So even though the people clung to the promise of that Davidic covenant, clung to the promise a king would come out of King David's line, whose kingdom would be forever. His line drifts off into uh, obscurity. It's a failed ancient dynasty. No one sits on the throne out of King David's line for over 600 years. And that's when God says, it's time. I'm going to bring my king. And so we finally get to, to Joseph and Mary, and uh, we, uh, we meet Jesus. He comes in. When Jesus comes forth, it was like a new green branch coming from an apparently dead stump. 600 years, no royal authority, dead stump. And I say apparently dead because if you look at a stump, you think dead tree. I think 100% of us would look at a stump and think dead tree. No one looks at a stump and says, guys, I found a stump. We're having apples to spring. Fruits back on the menu. No, it's, it's dead. No one thinks anything is growing out of a stump. You drive by it and you give it no attention. 
And God says, out of the stump of Jesse, I am going to bring forth my Messiah. And so uh, this, this tender shoot that comes out of apparently dead stump is, a, is not just barely alive, not hanging on. It is full of life and full of the spirit of the Lord. A commentary I read said, this tender branch should be so watered with the dews of heaven as to become a strong rod for a scepter to rule. I love that. Watered with the dews of heaven. Heaven is just pouring out water onto this branch because it is the king of heaven. And we immediately get seven aspects in verse 2. Seven aspects of spiritual empowerment for this shoot that's coming out of the stump. Seven is the number of fullness and completion in the Bible. And so immediately we get seven attributes of this stump saying, this uh, this shoot, this is my king who is fully and completely ready to be my Messiah. Fullness and completion, fullness of God in this child. And those seven things start with the Spirit of the Lord. We're going to look at all seven. Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of the God of Israel, rests upon this baby, given without measure. It's not just a measure of the Spirit, it is without measure. The fullness of God poured out onto this shoot. And Jesus begins his earthly preaching. Uh, we looked at this earlier in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, verse 18. He begins his preaching and says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Immediately he says, that prophecy that said the Spirit would be on me, today it is fulfilled. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. I am the Messiah. He fulfilled this prophecy uh, right out of the gate. Second attribute, Spirit of wisdom. Jesus shows perfect wisdom throughout his earthly ministry. We see it. All over the Gospels. In fact, 1 Corinthians tells us that Jesus became for us wisdom from God. So not only is he just uh, wise, he is wisdom. He didn't just have wisdom, he is wisdom. And the the next one, spirit of understanding. He has understanding in all things. And he understands you and me perfectly. He is perfectly suited to be our sympathetic high priest. Right? Right? God who understands us, but also man who understands us. Perfectly uh, suited to be the sympathetic high priest in heaven for us. Understanding in Hebrew has the idea of a sharp sense of smell. I thought this was interesting. Sharp sense of smell. One of the commentaries I read said, This word describes Jesus' sharpness of judgment in smelling out a hypocrite. His sharp nose easily discerneth. And is offended with the stinking breath of the hypocrite's rotten lungs. Though his words be ever so scented and perfumed with shows of holiness. He can smell the rotten lungs. Even though you're covering it with perfume and smiles and whatever. He's got the understanding. He can smell it. Next one is spirit of counsel. With his wisdom and his understanding. He has the perfect counsel to give us. Mark taught it last week. On the passage where it calls him the wonderful counselor. He is the wonderful counselor. Counseling can be uh, often viewed negatively in our our world. As if you're going to counseling um, and you're completely broken and messed up. Uh, We are. And uh, we need help. We need help. We don't see things rightly. And counseling is a wonderful thing. And our king is called the Wonderful Counselor, full of wisdom and understanding, 
ready to pour out wonderful counsel on your life. It's such a gift. Praise God that uh, he is that kind of king, right? He's like, yeah, what's up? Talk to me. I know things are not right. Talk to me. I'll give you my advice. I'll give you my counsel. I'm for you. It's a wonderful king and a wonderful counselor. Next one is spirit of might. All power is given to this Messiah to do exactly what he wants to with his understanding and his wisdom and his counsel. This little shoot is the stronger man who has come to bind the strong one, Satan. The stronger man who's come to bind him and plunder his house. He's the one that's come to disarm the authorities and put them to open shame. He walks into a room and demons yelp and ask what he's doing here. He speaks and they run. Like this is the might uh, uh, that this baby is endowed with. Just a couple weeks ago I was reading in 2 Thessalonians. Uh, and this was not related to my studies in the sermon. However, it is later on in the sermon. So the Lord was obviously working. But I was reading in 2 Thessalonians the passage about the Antichrist. And uh, the, it's the man of lawlessness, the one who is going to come, an absolutely evil figure, uh, who will come fully empowered by Satan. It's a real character uh, that is going to come. And if you're scarred by left behind like I am, uh, you probably have a sense of fear about this guy. Left behind just put fear into thousands of people's hearts. Uh, I'm sorry if any of y'all wrote it. Uh, but... Uh, I think it gave us just a fearful and too big of a view of the Antichrist. Because I read this. This is 2 Thessalonians 2.8. Then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by his appearance. Brought to nothing just by showing up. The Antichrist, this terrible figure, and Jesus just shows up. He's brought to nothing. This is the might of this tender shoot. Two more attributes, and real quick note, these two attributes are where Jesus is headed. I'll get to that in a second, but this is where Jesus is headed with his ministry. Spirit of knowledge, Matthew eleven twenty seven. It's not on the screen. Jesus says, all things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal to him. Spirit of knowledge, Jesus is bringing that knowledge whom he chooses to reveal it to so that we can know the Father. That was his ministry. And the last one, spirit of the fear of the Lord, which is a spirit of humility and willingly keeping himself in a place of submission and respect and honor before God the Father. We see that through his whole ministry, and he teaches us to do the same. So knowledge and fear of the Lord, that's where Jesus is headed. What is the point of these seven attributes? What's the point of me, you know, reading them all and talking about them. Uh, this shoot of Jesse in verse 1 is totally equipped to rescue the world with wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, fear of the Lord. He's totally equipped to fill the earth with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, which is verse 9, and rescue his creation from its suppression of knowledge and truth in, the sin, in sin. He doesn't need our mechanisms of power. He wasn't born into a, a royal power full of riches and armies at his disposal. He was born in a manger. He came with a different agenda. He said this world is upside down 
I'm here to just start turning it right side up. This world is broken. I'm here to mend it. I'm here to rescue it from sin and bring knowledge of who my father is. A totally different king than what people thought was, was coming. Out of the stump of Jesse comes a shoot, and that shoot changes the world. That's the king. End of section one. Section two, kingship. This is what he's going to do, what he's doing with uh, his rule. So verse three, his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Two belts. He's wearing two belts. He's bringing two belts into the fashion game. Righteousness and faithfulness. Anybody wearing two belts today? I did not think so. Uh, Righteousness and faithfulness. They are two things so close to Jesus They are like belts around his waist. Everything Jesus does is touched by his righteousness and his faithfulness. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Nothing pleased Jesus more than doing the will of his father. Jesus is that person at youth group. When everybody's talking about their favorite food for Christmas, what's your favorite thing to eat at Christmas? And people are like, mac and cheese and... Honey-baked ham and bacon-wrapped jalapeno poppers, steak, whatever. And they're like, Jesus, what about you? And he's like, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And they're like, Jesus, come on. Like, Mary has got to cook some food. Like, what do you like to eat from Mary? What is the food that you enjoy? And he's like, the will of my father to finish his work. And they're like, okay, that's fine. It's about you anyways. Christmas is about you. Uh, His delight is in the fear of the Lord. His joy is to stand in awe of God and to do his will. To tremble at the terrible thought of displeasing him. At, At his very core, Jesus' deepest desire and joy is to stand in awe of his father and to do his will. Just to delight in him. At his very core, his deepest joy, it's the fear of the Lord. And because that is true of him, he will judge rightly. Like he's not swayed by anything else. He shall judge not by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. And this is flowing out of his fear of the Lord. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor. And decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. So this shoot out of the stump of Jesse. His judgments are not based on appearances or opinion. He's not looking at you uh, in your outward appearance. He's not listening to the, the sweet words you're trying to sway him with. Or the opinions of others. He is judging based off of his already delight in the Lord, his deepest joy, his fear of the Lord. He is so in awe that those things do not matter. He does not need your approval. He does not fear your disapproval. He judges with perfect impartiality, perfect justice. He doesn't look at man. He looks to God. And he's totally satisfied. That spirit of understanding I talked about earlier, the sense of smell, 
uh, I came to understand it as I was studying. He is just smelling the aroma of your heart. He's not looking at you or listening. Uh, He is just smelling the condition of your heart. His sharp nose easily discerneth and is offended with stinking breath of the hypocrite's rotten lungs. It's just like, oh, man. He can smell the heart. He's a good judge. Quick note on that. Your, your life probably already has and will continue to be full of moments where people hurt you or offend you or wrong you. And so I just want to encourage you, can, tr- trust yourself to this judge. He will be your defense. Let him judge rightly. He doesn't get it wrong. He never has. He never will. He does not get it wrong. No one's going to charm him. He knows. He knows it all. And he sees you. So we can trust him. He's a good judge, a perfect judge, an impartial judge. And so his rule will be just. His rule, his reign, it will be just and right. And the poor will be cared for. And the meek will be defended and not trampled on. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. So that's in reference to 2 Thessalonians that I just read. The man of lawlessness. Paul in 2 Thessalonians takes this prophecy, slingshots it towards the man of lawlessness. And immediately we get to see, okay, Jesus is First coming rule, that's what these passages are talking about. And his second coming, uh, it's, it's both and. We're talking about both beautifully woven together. It's that prophetic perspective. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And the breath of the lips, uh, his lips, he will kill the wicked, including the man of lawlessness. Uh, so this brings us to the section three, which is his kingdom. With our king comes his kingdom. Uh, and it's beautiful. I mean, I could just read this and move on. It's just so beautiful. It's something radically new. Verse 6, uh, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat like, wait, lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the wean child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. So the summary here comes in verse 9. Uh, they shall not hurt or destroy, which means that that is currently happening. If they shall not, they currently are. And we're very familiar with that. We're very aware of that. Our reality is full of hurt and destruction. So when it says that they shall not, that's the coming kingdom of our Messiah, the kingdom that he is going to bring. And in that kingdom, there is no more pain, no more destruction. How? It says it right after. For... Or because the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Like I mentioned, those last two attributes of the spirit of the Messiah, that's where he was headed. I've got counsel and wisdom and understanding and might. I'm bringing knowledge and fear of the Lord. That's my kingdom. And it's a global kingdom. 
the whole earth will be filled. And it's an earthly kingdom with animals, which is really cool. Romans 8.19 tells us, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Creation is longing for Jesus' kingdom. I don't know how it works, but I know it's longing for the kingdom um, that the true king brings. And animals are going to start behaving like they did in the Garden of Eden. It's full circle according to the knowledge of God. Wolves are going to hang out with lambs. It's wild. Leopards and baby goats are going to take naps by each other. A calf and a lion and a fattened calf are going to form a squad and be led around by a little child. Kid is going to walk up and say, these are my friends. This is baby cow. This is lion. And this is big old baby cow. A bear and a cow are going to graze together. Lions are going to eat straw. And nursing children will have cobras nuzzling up on them. It's my mom's nightmare. She hates snakes. And uh, one time I caught a snake in the backyard, a little garter snake, beautiful little snake. I liked snakes as a kid. And uh, I came and put it on her shoulder as she was doing dishes. I'm so sorry, Mom. Uh, I know better now. But she freaked. It scurried under our kitchen table. Uh, And as she shut the door to my room for my grounding, I said, Isaiah 11, Mom, it's it's all there. No, I didn't get grounded. She she was a good sport about it uh, after she calmed down. Uh, It's breathtaking to imagine this kingdom. It's, It's our hearts long for this. Whether we know it or not, our hearts long for this kind of kingdom. Because we, we love creation, most of us, I assume. It's so beautiful to be out in creation. I was out Thursday writing some of this ser- sermon in creation because so much of it deals with creation. I was like, I got to get out there, soak up the word, soak up the beautiful weather on Thursday. It was awesome. But even then, there was this yellow jacket that kept flying around my computer, landing on my coffee. And I was just like, Lord, come heal this land. <laughs> Bring the new heaven and new earth. It's But seriously, we long for it. Like nobody wants to get stung by a yellow jacket. How beautiful is this passage? I think uh, why Chronicles of Narnia has become so beloved is for a ton of reasons. But, I mean, something in us longs for that restoration where kids are hanging out with a lion. Like it's a beautiful, fanciful picture. Um, It feels like a fairy tale. We love getting lost in worlds like that. But it is not a fairy tale. It's the kingdom of God. And we write stories out of the greatest story uh, just to try to match up to it. But it's all coming from the most beautiful story already written. It's God's kingdom. And we get that someday. That's what Isaiah is telling us. Our king will come and he will usher in his kingdom. And all the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is just, I mean, this is just beautiful. This is amazing. It should produce Worship in us as we just eagerly long for and wait for his return and his kingdom. Like we just uh, sing it, uh, waiting here for you. Like 
Lord, we, we want you. We're waiting here for you with hands held high. We are worshiping until the day you come back or call us home. And finally, verse 10, in that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Church, the signal has been raised. The king on the cross, the gift of love, who poured out his life for you, says, come nations, Jew and Gentile, come, seek the Messiah. Rest in the glory. He will welcome you. He will let you be joined to his people. The signal has been raised. And all nations are coming. We see updates from the Sanders about the Wantakians who are going to be around the throne of Jesus because they went and raised the signal. There's no king like our king. No earthly king is going to die for your sin. No earthly king can usher in peace. Across the world, there's no earthly king that can take away your sickness or the cancer that comes for your body. There's no earthly king where animals decide they're not going to kill each other anymore. It's just Jesus and his kingdom. And so do you long for him? Like, are you waiting here for him with hands held high? Or are you just good with life right now? A lot of us live not the way the word of God tells us to, which is to live is Christ, to die is gain. A lot of us just flip it and we say to live is gain, gain, gain. And to die, I get Jesus too. It's, it's so easy to flip it like that. To live is Christ, to die is gain. And my prayer is that this text has, has stirred your soul towards the king like it has mine. To just live for him, to long for him, to be so delighted in him. The king in the cradle, the king on the cross, the king that's coming back to usher in his kingdom fully. So three points of application real quick. Three points of application. Uh, Quick note, prophecies, definitely about Jesus. It's very clear to see. But all of the word of God is profitable for you. And so... We can apply this prophecy to our lives. Uh, Let me show you how. Acts 17, uh, it'll be on the screen. I've used this in a call to worship recently. I just love the simplicity of this passage. It it makes it really easy. Paul and Silas are in uh, Thessalonica, preaching the good news. Verse 5 says, the Jews were jealous. And taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob. And set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them, Paul and Silas, out to the crowd. They're not happy. And when they couldn't find them, they just dragged Jason out and some of his brothers. They drag him before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. So they've already heard about it. They heard about what's going on. They're like, These guys are turning the world upside down, and now they're here. And Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. All you have to do to turn the world upside down, or right side up, I should say. All you have to do to turn the world right side up, just say there's another king. The true king, Jesus. So point number one of application, the signal of our king has been raised. Is it raised in your life? 
The shoot of Jesse uh, is no longer a tender shoot. Uh, He's the vine whose branches are stretching across the world. Globally, all the nations are coming to him. We're seeing it happen. We are living in the glorious fulfillment of Isaiah 11. Nations are coming to Jesus. Do you want to be a part of that? Like, do you want to raise the signal of Jesus in your life? Is the signal raised? Point number one. Point number two of application, the shoot of Jesse judges with truth and calls his people to do likewise, to be a people of righteousness and faithfulness or truthfulness. Um, Those of us who have come to the signal get to put on Christ. We put him on and we bear fruit for his name. That means we stand up for what is right. Jesus says in John 7, 24, don't judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. He says that that prophecy that was about me, how I am going to judge, I now say to you, apply it to your life. Don't judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. We are a people of truth. Appearances and opinions do not matter. And I'm saying this to me because I, my, my biggest struggle in life has historically been the idol of approval, approval of man, either craving it or fearing disapproval. So I'm saying this to me. We are a people of truth and appearances and opinions don't matter. We stand for what is right at all cost. And we do that out of the freedom we have in delighting in God and in his, the fear of him. Are you free to do that? Am I free to do that? Am I free to say the truth at a PTA meeting? I'm not in school yet. Are you free to just say the truth at the PTA meeting? Or in front of a camera or in front of your coworkers or your boss, whatever happens, I don't care. I know where my delight is. I know where my satisfaction is. And it isn't in man's approval, it's in God's. And I don't fear man's disapproval because I fear the Lord. So I speak the truth because I have the shoot of Jesse as my king who reigns over the world. Are you free to just stand up for what is right? That's point number two. Last point, number three. His kingdom will come and we will rest in glory. That's Advent. That's what we're talking about. That's our series right now. It's this season right now. Advent, waiting with hope for the kingdom of God, the return of our king. Do you long for it? Are you waiting well? Or do you just half-heartedly sing, waiting here for you with our hands? It's, it's I, when I read this passage of the kingdom, it's like, I want that. Like, I want that, Lord. Not just because it's awesome, but because, Jesus, I want you, my true king. Do you long for it? Or does your life look right now like to live is gain, someday I'll die and I'll get Jesus too? I'll invite the band back up. Uh, We're going to sing a song of response in Christ alone. Because in Christ alone is our hope found, our joy found, our peace found, our delight found. We want to look to him and say, in Christ alone is my life rooted. And until he returns or calls us home, until he comes back, we will be so satisfied in him that nothing else matters. We, we will be standing in his love and his power and his truth. We will be a people of truth. 
who stand for what is right. I pray that that's what this text has stirred in us and stirred in me. Don't need man's approval. Don't fear their disapproval. We've got the king, and his kingdom is coming someday. It's a global kingdom, so raise the signal in your life. Raise it for your neighbors, for your coworkers, wherever you need to raise it. The Spirit's using you. You're a part of his, his kingdom now, his branches. So uh, I'm going to pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for this, this passage. Thank you so much for Isaiah 11 and uh, just what it, it meant, um, prophesying the king coming back, uh, well, king coming and then coming back. God, we, we love to look at this and read it, to see how, Jesus, you came as a humble king, and, Jesus, you will come back as a triumphant, glorious king. Your kingdom cannot be stopped. And uh, we know the signal has been raised, God. And so we want to raise it in our lives. We want to raise it in this church. Let the woodlands and Creekside and Tomball know that Jesus is king because of the people of this church. Uh, and God, we long for the return. Uh, when you come back, you bring your kingdom. God, we wait for that with, with eager expectation, Lord. Um, we, we truly do want that. So, Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would just keep impressing on our hearts out of your word. Uh, what is true and what is right. Give this church courage. Give me courage to, to stand up for what is right at all costs because our delight is in you, Lord. Um, God, we need your help. Um, but we love you and we thank you that you are with us. You are helping us. You're our wonderful counselor. And, uh, yeah, we just love you, Lord. So uh, we pray all of this in the mighty name of Jesus.